Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we have two guests for you. We have Alex McAdid, who has been on the podcast before, and we have Reagan Canope, who is a political consultant extraordinaire. And so I'll give it to you guys to uh, introduce yourselves in your own words. So, uh, Alex, why don't you take a minute to Introduce yourself. Former former treasurer of the ORP. Yeah, that's it. I'm a former treasurer of the ORP. Uh, currently, my day job, I am the city manager of uh, the city of Sodaville, Oregon, which is a wonderful little town uh, in Lynn County. Um, I live in the city of Lebanon, and uh, I am a Palestinian-American. Um, I'm pretty pretty mixed race. I have a mixed background. You see a Mick and a Haddad in my last name from the Scots part of me and a Haddad <laughs> from the Arab part of me. Um, I'm also an author of Middle Eastern fiction. Uh, I published my uh, first novel last year, Sands of Jana, Ignoble, that explores uh, fantasy through a more Middle Eastern lens. I actually didn't know that. Wait, I didn't. No. Yeah. Can I ask now you a fantasy? <laughs> Is this like Fifty Shades of Palestine? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, Reagan. Uh, well, you're right. I'm a Republican um, consultant and Twitter personality, hashtag mm. O-R-P-O-L, which is short for Oregon Politics. That's the hashtag for people who want to engage on X, formerly known as Twitter, is apparently what we're calling it now. Um, I'm also the chief of staff for uh, Senator Tim Canope, who is my dad. Um, and then I've done a ton of other stuff. If we were going to get into former, there's too much stuff to list. But I was, you know, I was going to say you mentioned at one point that you're looking forward to the day when you can be introduced without mentioning your dad. And so I was making a point of not yeah. mentioning your dad. No, and it's then, okay. I like, think I think it's better. I I found that it's just better to mention it. Just, that way, people don't think it about it and be like, oh, uh, sure. is he? Have I heard that name before? Yeah, that makes sense. Right, and then and then someday it won't uh, it won't come up. But um, yes, and I want to make it clear I don't represent. Any of my past employers, any of my current employers, any of my future employers, 100% my own personal views. Yeah, makes sense. Appreciate that. All right. Well, I think what we're going to do is kick it off, uh, start off with Alex, because uh, as a Palestinian, Christian, Republican, American, uh, is not a combination that you get very often. And so, uh, Alex, why don't you start out and then we'll kind of get into the little bit, the nuts and bolts of the Israel-Palestine issue. Yeah, I'm one of the few. Um, so my grandfather, uh, was born in Palestine in 1930, um, and he's still alive. So he's, he's around and kicking. Um, he was, uh, born in a little town called Bait Safifa, according to his birth certificate. Um, his family was Palestinian. Uh, they were Christian and they had been Christians living in Palestine basically since the Arabs got there in about AD 130. Uh, when the Romans came there, they were descendants from those people and, uh, they adopted Christianity at the time, and they basically stayed Christian throughout all the terrible things that happened after that. You know, mm. the uh, most of the last two millennia weren't really great for anybody. Mm. I think we can agree. 
Um, my grandfather and anybody else that was living uh, kind of west of the West Bank or um, on the wrong side of Gaza was kind of driven out in 1948. Uh, that was the year that uh, the state of Israel was declared. Um, so the British mandate ends. Ends, yeah. The the palace the the area of Palestine becomes its own country per UN declaration. Yeah, to get a little more technical, in 1948, there had been a, a peace process for a couple of years where the UN had been proposing, okay, here's how we should divide up Palestine. There was a final proposal that Jewish leaders in Palestine said, yeah, we can live with that. Um, I, I thought it was a little weird. They kind of basically split the place up into six different puzzle pieces mm-hmm. uh, that weren't really contiguous. Uh, or they, they, the Israel part was like slightly contiguous in the middle, but like from a, a larger map, it looked like it was six puzzle pieces. So it, it wasn't great, but it, it gave a very generous portion of the land, almost 50-50 between Arabs and Jews. And by that point in time, there had been a couple of decades of really bad, violent anti-Semitism that had taken over the land. And in 1948, you're, you're 1948. kidding. You're kidding, right? I, yeah. <laughs> well, this is something that people don't know as much about because, you know, the the religious and ethnic strife there does come from one specific guy. Uh, this was a person with the title of Grand Mufti. He was the chief Islamic religious leader of uh, the area. And in the 1930s, as you know, more Jews started coming in, he took the lead of saying, hey, we have a, a religious mandate to, to drive them out and kill them all. And he started killing Jews en masse and um, telling all the Arabs, yeah, you need to kill them all. And you can trace a lot of that back to him. The thing that made it even worse was that when he finally got kicked out, he went to Italy and said, hey, Mussolini, can I meet Hitler? And <laughs> Mussolini introduced him to Hitler, and he spent the whole of World War II traveling Europe going, ah, oh, you really got to get rid of these Jews. And yeah. that, that sentiment stayed around. And by the time the, the peace process went to a partition and they said, okay, let's split Israel or let's split Palestine into Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. There was so much anger and violence and religious fervor that uh, the Arab leaders said, no, we want the whole thing to ourselves. So they went to war immediately. And that caused uh, what the Arabs or the Palestinians referred to as the Nakba, which means catastrophe, because Israel got the upper hand really quickly mm-hmm. uh, in the battle between uh, Israel and Palestine. And most of the Palestinians that were in the what we come we we call Israel today were driven out. They either went to the Gaza Strip or they went to the West Bank. They went to Jordan, Syria. So just um, a, a terminology thing. Um, I mean, Israel is Israel's. Yeah. Um, but we have Arabs and Palestinians. Um, are we talking about Palestinians? You mean anyone who lives in that region? Just the Arab ethnic Arab. Palestinians. That's a good one. The terms are important. Oh, yeah. they are. In, like they when are you're important. looking at a map of Israel, you just see a map of Israel, but not. I, so when I went to Israel, this would have been 2012. You you realize when you're doing some of the tours and, st- and stuff that not everything in Israel is controlled by Israel, right? There's some parts of it that you have to go through security and different things because they're under different. Um, controls. It's not actually a fully contiguous country. There are parts of that area that you go through that are, you know, it's it's a, it's only the size of New Jersey, so you don't have to drive yeah. very far before you're in another country, right? So, you, the, like defining the terms and understanding things are not always a hundred percent as obvious and clear as they look on a basic map, right? Thus, the century of warfare, <laughs> right? And I think that that I mean, my, my research and reading about the Israel Palestine conflict is. It's all shades of gray. Oh, yeah. It's all like there is no black and white in in the entire thing. 
No. So anyway, um, in in your description, I guess is what yeah. What are we talking about? Getting back um, to the yeah. Well, so 1948, <laughs> um, some of my family was able to get to the West Bank, and they moved to Ramallah. My grandfather and some of the other ones went to Jordan. Um, I guess one of my great uncles ended up being the barber for the King of Jordan at the time, uh, although the King of Jordan went bald, so he didn't have a job after that. <laughs> um, but Good guy to get on the pod. Really uh, brutal. <laughs> right. Sadly, he, he died in, uh, I don't know, 2002. I went to his funeral, and that's where I first met all of my extended Arab family. Hmm. Um, yeah, that was. A, I got pulled out of standardized testing that day, so I was pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> And now you can graduate because uh, exactly. without the standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Um, Oregon Democrats roasted. <laughs> most of them went. The uh, there when you can get them. Yeah. Most of them ended up going to the United States. Uh, my grandfather uh, ended up joining the British Army Air Corps after he went to Jordan. Um, he saw action during the Suez Canal. Eventually, he ended up as a prisoner of war hmm. on the Arab side, like an Arab fighting against us. Hmm. Not, we don't like <laughs> that. Um, so he was able to escape that prison camp, and uh, he immediately went to the United. States. He was like, I'm done with this. This whole the he wanted to be in a country where your religion and your race didn't define your place in society. He wanted mm. to go to a place where you were able to work for your position. I was like, Yeah, America sounds good to me. And Love that. yeah, he uh, he basically left the culture behind. He was like the only one who didn't teach his kids Arabic. There were no, you know, he didn't have them eat Arabic food in the home. It was just you're going to be American, and American is what you're going to be. Assimilate as soon as possible. Interesting. So, obviously, the reason we're here is that uh, a couple weeks ago on October 7th, uh, Hamas, the leaders of the Palestinian contingent of within the state of Israel, um, jumped the fence and started killing people. 1,400 uh nick is well so i i and alex like, is jumped the fence. I, I, I think <laughs> alex all started jumping around. i don't necessarily know that hamas is the the leaders of the palestinian people i'm sure that that was about to be a point of maybe clarification yeah it's it's a complicated thing you would say that hamas is control it controls the gaza strip is right. is is something you can say pretty factually because hamas as that entity does control the gaza strip how that actually works in terms of the frames of the constitution of the palestinian national authority and everything is also something we're going to have to get into a little a little bit more but hamas controls gaza right so um, but they were they were elected I know this is something we talked about a little bit on the, on the yeah, group chat. Head so, head. so in 2006, there was an election. There was an election. Hamas and won, and it, they killed off all their opponents. Not quite not, in that order. No, okay. They, they did ahead. do that eventually. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, they they killed of gray. their political opponents, There, not there are right some away. things that aren't, aren't gray. Hamas does kill people, and I, I, I never miss an opportunity to say that Hamas is haram. I do not like them. I can't wait for them to not exist anymore. It's right. going to be awesome. Uh, as a Palestinian, I think it's very important for me to say I don't like terrorism. I don't like killing civilians. Yeah. And when Hamas does that, it, I have a duty to say, that's wrong. Don't do it. Right. So, I mean, give a little more background on that 2006 election. Yeah. and uh, So, um, the Palestinian National Authority is kind of the, the political entity that was created to govern what was supposed to become a state of Palestine. And they have a parliamentary system with an, a directly elected president and a parliament. And in 2005, they elected uh, a member of the Fatah party to be president. But the next year in 2006... Uh, they had elections for parliament and Hamas won uh, the plurality. Now, Hamas and Fatah governed in a um, – they had a, a coalition briefly, but I think Hamas realized Fatah wasn't going to be extreme enough and Fatah realized Hamas was going to be too extreme. And um, eventually, 
there was a, a moment where Israel decided to withdraw from the Gaza Strip completely. And mm-hmm. what Hamas did then basically was say, you know what? We should just cut and run and just say, we're going to run Gaza and that's what we're going to do. And uh, they either imprisoned, expelled, or just flat out killed all of the Fatah officials that were there. And they have ruled Gaza with an iron fist ever since then. So the West Bank has been governed directly by the president since um, that time because uh, Israel has not allowed the uh, Palestinian parliament to meet at all uh, through a variety of means. And Fatah has has their the elected president of the Fatah party has been running is has been running the West Bank since then, and Hamas has been running Gaza since then. Got it. So, so well, it'd be like if there was a civil war and like Pete Buttigieg took over Indiana. Like, <laughs> I mean, technically he's part of an elected national government, but that's there's a few steps in between what what was there because. Um, yeah, Gaza was supposed to have its own. There, there's, there. They have local administration, just like everywhere else in the world. There are towns with individual right. mayors and things. So Hamas was the a, a group that won the national parliamentary elections, that then just took over like one part of the country and has then stayed there. So there was no election on whether should Hamas run the Gaza Strip. It was should Hamas run Palestine. They won, but then there was a falling out, and now Hamas just runs there, and Fatah runs the West Is Bank. Is there any physical connection between the West Bank and Gaza? No. No, none at all. So, that's kind of makes it a little easier for Hamas to just kind of run the show when the rest of your government is across the across the way. Yeah. They're like, hey, can we pop on a Zoom? And they're like, no, sorry. We used all the energy for Zoom to turn uh, to turn water pipes into rockets to Whoops. fire at Israel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hamas is a racket. I mean, just they're classical gangster mafia nonsense. You know, they love stealing foreign aid that gets delivered to the country. So mm-hmm. if people contact me like, how can I help in Gaza? I say, give to Doctors Without Borders. Don't give it to the Red Cross because it's all going to get stolen when they send in supplies. Give it to the doctors. They're going to send it to the hospital and they're going to run a hospital. Hamas is going to steal anything that's not nailed down and they're going to use it to uh, make money on the black market. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I guess kind of moving to, to present day, uh, obviously we had this terror attack of Hamas coming outside the borders and killing uh, about 1,400. 1,400 Israeli civilians in very barbaric ways. Oh, they yeah. live streamed it, um, people being burned alive. I mean, just horrific, horrific actions. Um, now, Israel has said Hamas needs to be destroyed. They're going to kill every last one of them. Yeah. Um, I have said – so I, I said this in the group chat, but I'll, I'll tell, say it for our, our listeners. Um, having a bit of a military background, when I was in Afghanistan, we had a if you get shot at, you shoot back policy for mm. several years. And what we realized is that the Taliban got, real, got smart to that and they would then um, hire local farmers, pay them – you know, six months of wages to go plant a bomb on the road. Mm-hmm. Well, you drop a hellfire on their on their head, and you have a dead farmer who was not radicalized, was not ideologically aligned with the Taliban, who's just who's just taking advantage of the situation. But now you've killed him, and now all of his sons and brothers and uncles and are all have a blood feud. Now they are radicalized, and so you end up radicalizing mm-hmm. eight people for every one quote unquote bad guy that you kill. Um, because the Tal- yeah, the Taliban weren't planting bombs on their own at that point. They were just hiring locals. Um, and so 
we shifted to the hearts and minds, really tightened down the rules of engagement. And so you had to be really, really sure of who you were, you were shooting at to make sure that you, there was, um, as minimize as much as you possibly can the, the collateral damage and, um, focus on helping out the, uh, the locals. Cause our you know, hearts and minds, nation building, that was our goal. Um, my concern for Israel is that they are not concerned with hearts and minds. Uh, and, you know, how do you, the other way to solve the problem of radicalizing the family members is you just kill the whole family. You, you kill all the brothers and uncles and all of a sudden there's nobody else. And this is, you know, ethnic cleansing, genocide, um, those sorts of things. And so Israel has a different military philosophy to the United States and they are not trying to go out and kill everybody, but I'm almost, I'm concerned that they're going to take it too far because you, you kill all of Hamas and then all of Hamas's family members now become the new Hamas. And, uh, the only way to either to get rid of them all is, uh, kill everybody. So that's my concern. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the death toll in the Gaza Strip is now 7,500 people. Yeah. For 1,400 Israelis were killed. And every single one of those Israeli lives, you know, is every life that was lost. That is an absolute tragedy. And it, it saddens me that anybody had to die at all. Um, and they wouldn't have if Hamas just hadn't done this. Like, you literally just right. don't have to kill somebody. Right. Just don't. And they did. And it's bad. But the, the response now has been 7,500 people in Gaza are dead. Well... And it's hard to say, but how many of those are Hamas and how many are not? And I don't think we anybody knows. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Well, yeah, some of it. The the Palest the there is a, a Ministry of Health in in Gaza that is run by Hamas. So you mm. know, um, the, the BBC but, loves to cite those oh, numbers. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. Might Whoopsie. be a little bit biased. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the uh, they have found seventy five hundred um, bodies so far. Um, and then a lot of the targets have been hit. Um, they've been really hitting the north north end of the Gaza Strip for a while. Mm-hmm. But there, there's 2.3 million people jam-packed into something like the size of New York City. Yeah. And there's not really anywhere for them to go when Israel says, hey, we're bombing the skyscraper where 500 people live. What do you do? Um, they try to leave if they can. Um but it's it's left a a lot of people dead. Um, not just Hamas fighters. There have been people of all all stripes have been killed. They they bombed uh, a church uh, where Christian Palestinians were sheltering in Gaza recently, and a bunch of civilians in there died. Uh, congressman, former Congressman Justin Amash, um, is Palestinian American. Several of his relatives died. Um, he mm-hmm. showed pictures of them like yeah, these are civilian casualties. These are my my two young nieces. Uh, like like they were teenagers. Like yeah, they're dead. Yeah. And I think this was the I just most recent um, issue art issue of the Economist had a had a big article about this, and they were this is one of the things they're saying trying to get to is just like what is the end game? And it's scenario one is you just you do like a SEAL Team Six kind of thing. Obviously, IDF has their own version of SEAL Team Six. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're getting involved, but like then you just get rid of as many Hamas leaders as you can. It's like doesn't matter how many. Hamas leaders you get rid of, there's still going to be people to crop back up and yeah. you still haven't changed the ideology or option number two, you can go through and you just, you are an occupying force. You are what we tried to be in Afghanistan for 20 years and 
eventually you lose the stomach to go through and do that. And how quickly did the Taliban take over after, you know, oh, two and a half yeah. years ago? It was like weeks. Week. Very, yeah, it was like <laughs> no time at all. And this is the, the they ended the article by saying the thing that Hamas knows is that the damage that Hamas can inflict on Israel is nowhere near as large as the damage that Israel can inflict on itself. And this is my, like, this is my concern is, is, you know, somebody who sees an injustice and it's just like, look, man, you got, you got to get the bastards. Like, that's just, you can't go killing children and raping women and beheading babies. Like, you just can't do that. But there's not a, this isn't the revolutionary war where there's, you know, ragtag group of patriots and redcoats and there's clear good guys and bad guys and the battle is fought and then it's done they're like this just isn't that and it's you know what what do you do if you're israel i think this is where i'm gonna jump in a little bit because i think please so my context i think for this mostly is i visited israel once i'm you know i was raised and and a bible believing christian right and I'm also a member of the Republican Party, and I'm also generally very pro-strong national defense. And mm-hmm. probably get that straight from my namesake, President Ronald Reagan, right? Yeah. And yeah, he was he was the first president to actually welcome a president of Israel to the United States. He did that in I think it was 1987, so 40 years after Israel um, declared you know their independence and recognized by the UN. And one of the things that Reagan talked about that I think was super important was he said that there's a couple of reasons why the United States is aligned with Israel in the region. And one of them is because they just have a similar background in the sense that they had, you know, they were, the the British government was there. And I think this is true for a lot of Palestinian people too. The British government was there oppressing them, controlling them, ruling them. They wanted independence. They didn't get it initially. They started, you know, doing it in a more uh, revolutionary style manner. And ultimately, I mean, I think for the most part, the United States actually won a lot more battles than really occurred in the Middle East. In the Middle East, the the British were just like, actually, we're done with this now. We would yeah. like to be done with this now. They hand it over to the United Nations. Well, they have a commission called the Peel Commission. They study it. Their big idea is two-state solution, okay? Because you hear a lot about the two-state solution. Then they hand it over to the UN. And the UN is like, yeah, two-state solution. Sounds pretty good. They do two-state solution. And most of the Arab governments go, how about one-state solution? How about Palestinian state solution? And right. no Jewish state, yeah. right? And so, then you have that that initial war. And then you have – that's kind of the similar background for the, the Six-Day War. And a couple of the other conflicts, right? And sort of the ongoing boil in the region. And so, the U.S. continues to align with Israel because, one, they were, they've been democratic for longer than a lot of the Arab states have been, or at least behaved more like a Western democracy. Right. They were, um, specifically because of the Holocaust, they had a lot of political uh, will to be supportive of Israel. Mm-hmm. Something that didn't, you know, wasn't happening specifically to the Arab, you know, residents in there. Um, the fact that the Jews uh, only have one state and there's many Arab countries out there, right? And so that kind of imbalance, I think, ultimately led the United States to decide that this is a good partner for us. They're a strong partner for us. And we have similar values, right? I wouldn't say, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the United States is a Judeo-Christian nation. No. However, 
there are a lot of people with Judeo-Christian values or influences that were part of the founding of this country. And so you see those, the Judeo specifically part of those values reflected in Israel. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of alliances. America has been involved in the Middle East since we became a country. It's just a lot of different names and a lot of different countries that were all there. And so, you know, George Washington dealt with Middle East problems. It's always been yeah. something that's, that's related <laughs> yeah. to America. And so, uh, it's never been something we can ignore. Specifically in this instance, I see a couple of things. I see one, you know, Nick, I don't think you meant to say it this way, but, but I think there is a clear good guy. There is a, there's a clear good guy. Israel, there is a clear bad guy, Hamas, and then there's a lot of civilians in between that really do not want to be a part of this fighting. But the political, uh, the political situation that Hamas has created is one that makes it very difficult for civilians to survive this conflict. So right? I would, I would push back a little bit on, I don't know. So it's like good guys and bad guys. We always want to put everything in good. Eyes. And I, and I think we've already talked about Hamas being the bad guys. I don't know that Israel completely gets the good guy tag on this one. Okay. Um, and like, yes, they're our ally. Yes, they're a strategic partner in the area. They are a stabilizing factor. They're a nuclear power in this area. That's, you know, probably one of the reasons that Iran has not been more radicalized than it already is, is because they, they are afraid of, of, of yes. Israel yes. being right there. And so there's a lot, like, like you said, there's a lot of reasons for us to support Israel. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they are blameless in the way that they have handled the Palestinian situation well, yeah. over the past several decades. Yeah, I yeah. think I think they've made a lot fewer. I I, I I say I'll generally agree with you. I think they've made fewer mistakes though, and I think that they've been they've generally been more interested in peace than a lot of the Arab countries because usually Israel's the one being attacked and then having to respond. And well, so, when we're, when we're so let's, go to, the, let's yeah. go to the death toll really quick. The <laughs> reason the death toll is so high for Palestinians is because Hamas doesn't care if they die. And Israel mm-hmm. does care if their, if their citizens die. And Israel does have more resources and more support to defend theirs, their citizens, right? The death toll for Israel would be much higher if the Iron Dome didn't exist, right? Yeah. But the yeah. Iron Dome exists and therefore the Israeli. So you can't judge the conflict based on how high are the death tolls. The death tolls are not the thing that's going to decide the moral equivalency of this fight. Sure. Israel is better equipped to defend and more interested in defending their civilians than Hamas is theirs. The other thing is Israel is trying to tell people it's, it, I just don't understand in war when you would like be like, hey, just FYI, everyone who lives here, we're going to do some stuff here later. You should not be here for it, right? No, they don't have anywhere to go, yeah. but your choices are be here and probably die or leave and maybe not die, right? And so they're yeah. giving them two very bad options, okay? But it's war, and so that's kind of the situation you're stuck in. Well, attacking I don't, civilian targets is a choice they're making, though, and they don't have to attack civilian targets. Well, they do when Hamas is hiding there. They're not well, hiding everywhere. So, I, mean, I don't think they were that. hiding in a church. <laughs> I think they were. Mm, so, well, I don't think so going so. back to Afghanistan, we didn't attack civilian targets, even if they were getting shot at. Like, <clears throat> and that I mean, is a choice that that, that is a choice that that's we a made. choice we made. as Americans, hundred percent. And we were also, I mean, it's also kind of apples to oranges in your because we we were halfway around the world. You know, yes, if, Israel. If, it's just it's, that's it's, where they it's are. There, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about New Jersey. If if your country is New Jersey. And the Taliban was shooting rockets from New York City over the river. Uh, maybe we would have done things differently. But the fact that we were on the other side of the world and the only Americans in harm's way were people who were there to cause violence to the Taliban. Um, it's not really it's not really 
the same thing. Yeah. So here I made an argument and then said it's not really the same. So and I'll, I'll do one more thing and then I'll let Alex go because I think I've I've had a, a good turn on the conversation. Right. Sure. I think especially especially we saw with the the challenge with this is especially because um, Hamas does not want to follow obviously the rules of of any kind of rules we've ever made about war. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that makes them a very difficult enemy to deal with. Specifically, the misinformation that they send out about like, oh, Israel bombed the hospital. No, mm-hmm. they didn't. The, some guy in Hamas, I don't know if he's drunk or not, but he fired a rocket and it misfired. 25 to 30% of all the rockets they fire still from Gaza land in Gaza, right? And so you have this situation where they're, they, because, again, because of their disregard for human life, the, the Hamas, um, I don't know if it's their catch line or their slogan or their motto. We love death as much as it, as Jew, as the Jews love life or Israel loves life. It's something like that, right? Their whole philosophy is so detrimental to life that their job, their goal is to kill Jews and they don't care who else dies in the process. So it makes them a difficult enemy to combat. And that's why Israel, and because of Israel specifically being a target in the region, they have to behave. And And like you said, I think they're very aware that if they go too far, they're going to lose a lot of strong political support that they have right mm-hmm. now, obviously. Yeah. And so, they're cognizant of not going too far. I think they're doing everything they can to not go too far. But I think Hamas continues to throw up roadblocks in a way that, like, even in warfare, when we were in warfare against other countries in World War II, they, if their people lived in cities we were invading, they didn't stop them from leaving. But Hamas is stopping them from leaving. And a lot of the other Arab countries aren't opening their borders to the refugees either. So, it's like, what is Israel supposed to do? Yeah. Alex, has Israel, do we agree that Israel has not gone too far? <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, 7,500 people dead. Um, tons of civilian infrastructure destroyed. They've cut off fuel. They cut off water. Uh, so now there's if people who were in hospitals getting treated, uh, you know, the natal ward in the hospitals there, like all those babies, well, they're going to die because there's no way to take care of them. Um, the Arab, so... Egypt and uh, Israel have been maintaining a joint blockade of Gaza for quite some time. Egypt doesn't really care. They don't They don't want it to be their problem. Mm-hmm. They're annoyed that it is their problem because it technically hits their little border. Mm-hmm. But there's nowhere else for people in, in Gaza to go. They can't go to Israel. They can't go to Egypt because Egypt's like, we don't care. Um, and Israel is proactively invading them. So there's no place for them to go. There is no other alternative route. Egypt doesn't want them there. And even if they did, the Sinai Peninsula is not like, you know, a verdant green farmland. It's right. sand <laughs> for hundreds of thousands of miles. It's bad for growing things. Like, you're not going to live, you know, even if, like, you're going to set up tents there. You're going to set up and bring the water. You're going to, like, there's there's nowhere for them to go. Get a remote job. You just work from Facebook or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Get a remote job. Pop the computer yeah. open. Um, so, the the place that you – again, we've got 2.3 million people stuck in a little thing about the size of New York City. And uh, they've, they've been told for two decades, you're not allowed to leave. And – yeah, the uh, um, they're gonna fight back. That's kind of what happened here. Unfortunately, Hamas decided to do it by killing civilians. Should not have done that. It was terrible. They didn't have to. They shouldn't have. Um, it's barbaric that they did, and they deserve all the retaliation that it yeah, that it meets them. But um, the people in Gaza are suffering way more than um anybody in Israel has now seen suffering. They're destroying all of the infrastructure there, trying mm. to live in a place that's been destroyed. You know, how, how livable is the Willamette Valley going to be after the Cascadia quake? 
mm. comes and destroys all of our water pipes and power lines. It's not going to be bad great. If we don't replace the I five bridge between now and then. Yeah, well, <laughs> that. plug plug for a ten billion dollar <laughs> project. project. <laughs> if if you have that level sponsored of by ODOT, <laughs> no longer plowing Eastern Oregon. <laughs> oh, devastating! Oh. That's a good one. God, I can't. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah. Um, there's. The Gaza is being destroyed pretty systematically right now. Places yeah. where people can live, places where people can go, hospitals, all of their infrastructure is just gone now. It's rubble and they're not going to be able to rebuild it because all they have to rebuild is the rubble that's left. And you can't just – if somebody destroyed my city's water infrastructure, like I'm not just going to rebuild that. I need somebody to give me pipes and I need somebody to give me, you know, laborers and money to do that. And that's not going to happen. Um, Gaza is just going to be – blown away and they're going to have to live in the rubble for a while. The human toll is going to be way more than just the 7,500 who have died. Even if Israel says like let's say Israel kills all of Hamas, which mm -hmm. I wouldn't be mad about honestly because Hamas is terrible. Right. Um, the the long term human death toll is going to be massive because they've contaminated the routes that they take to bring water into the city. Every every possible means to get everything that every everyone needs to survive into that city is going to be gone. Um, you know they they have a very small bit of the coast that they're allowed to use for fishing purposes, but other than that, you're not allowed to leave. There are Israeli ships down there, and they will not let you go past that. So they've got seawater and rubble and that's uh all of the resources that gaza has now and that's long term is going to be way worse for gaza and i think this goes back to nick's point earlier from which i guess you just stole from the economist but what is the end game <laughs> what, what <laughs> we thought nick was smart he just <laughs> reads the end game I just read one thing and parrot it <laughs> what, what is the end game like if you're if you're israel i mean this is still part of israel's the country of israel uh, if you're destroying all this stuff, like what do you what do you expect to happen at the end? What okay? Let's say let's say you kill all of Hamas. Let's say everybody in Palestine now loves you, even though you just like killed all their family and destroyed all their buildings. Now what? What do you do? Yeah, what do you do? Well, the the Palestinian Authority has made it very clear: peace is achievable if Israel will just allow Palestinians to have sovereignty over the West Bank and Gaza in their own country. If you just let them. Let Israel live in Israel. Let the Palestinians live in Palestine. So this we is won't the, be fighting each other anymore. This is the the government in the West Bank. In the West Bank, okay. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Hamas is Hamas, and they're always going to be crazy. You know, the the leader of Hamas doesn't even live in Gaza. He lives in Qatar and <laughs> yes. runs the whole thing from afar. Is like, ah, uh, uh, yeah. yes. Like the the height of hypocrisy, you know, is that their their leader doesn't even live there and yeah. isn't affected. Um, and I think the main problem with that is like Israel will say we've offered this and it's been rejected multiple times by mm, Arab nations. And really. so it's like I, this is the, the problem of how to solve the conflict is if both sides say, well, if we if we just do this thing and they both say the same words, but they mean different things. It's really hard to solve. But there was a, a turning point in the 90s where they signed the Oslo Accords where Israel yeah. and Palestine got an equal seat at the table and things were supposed to move along in a, in a way that allowed them to kind of coalesce. Palestine was out of, able to have general elections for the first time. Yeah. They elected a president. They elected a parliament. Great. Well, the, the Fatah-Hamas fallout had a, was a problem for both of that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they get to own that, unfortunately. They shouldn't have had a civil war where they killed each other. That was really dumb. Mm -hmm. um, the... 
the current um, leadership of the West Bank, you know, in Fatah, they say the same thing. Mm. We want an independent state. Well, the West Bank, Palestinian Authority doesn't control most of it. Most of it is controlled by Israel. Um, steadily, Israel has been colonizing it with settlers. They invite immigration from other countries and they fill the West Bank. They, they go into Arab-occupied cities and go, hey, you're leaving right now or you're leaving in a body bag. And uh, they... These people are kind of suddenly left without homes and they have to be sequestered into ever smaller and smaller parts of Palestine. Um, Palestine, or the, the, the authority controlled by the Palestinian National Authority isn't even contiguous. It's just a bunch of different clusters mm-hmm. that Israel gets in the middle of. So peace really entails them getting the West Bank back. And Israel's, uh, has never said, yeah, we'll, we'll let you have the West Bank. We'll let, we'll withdraw all of the people we've put there on purpose to take your land away and put them back in our country. They're like, no, we want all of the stuff and we want you to be sequestered and we just want to be able to keep expanding. Now, I, j- just to ask for, um, the, the work that President Clinton was doing with the Camp David Accords in 2000, I thought that I remembered also, I think I read from The Economist <laughs> that he had um, – Should we just read The Economist? Yeah, I was like, yeah, might as well. Right? Story oh, time. Yeah. But I, I thought that the offer was 92% of the territory in, in the, the West Bank that was being asked for. And Yasser Arafat, the predecessor of Mahmoud Abbas, who's the current yeah. leader of the Palestinian Authority, the, the rather – an effectual Palestinian authority, which I think is a topic for another question, <laughs> but uh, a topic for another thing, but that he came back and he said, no. And Bill Clinton said, you are doing this at the, you are driving toward the complete and utter destruction of your people. This has to be done so that we can achieve peace. And it wasn't, was it Menachem Begin? Who's the president? I don't know who's president of Israel at the time. was. I can look it up while we're... Yeah, I, you, Alex even yeah, said it was just like, who needs this. the internet before? And I was just like, ah, I'm fine. <laughs> we'll wait this and now. I'm no, I knew like, I needed my laptop because I was either going to get something to... wrong or misremember. But the, the Israeli president at the time was ready to, was at the table and was ready to talk and make a deal. And President Clinton was looking for something to be remembered for other than Monica Lewinsky. He was ready to make a deal. He was ready to try to broker some peace. Uud Barak, and, I think, is yeah, his name. Barak. The there, it is, there it is. And Yasser Arafat said no. And that would have been maybe, I guess maybe not everything. It wouldn't have gotten to 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 exactly where it where everybody in Palestine felt that they got exactly what they wanted. But correct me if I'm wrong, but that would have been a much more optimistic outcome than certainly than where we're at now. Oh yeah, I agree. That would have been a much more optimistic thing. The the way that the Israelis have been approaching the problem with Palestine since then has changed dramatically over time. Um, you know, there was that offer originally. You know, they were prepared to, not, to go, okay, we can have 92% of your country. Okay, well, nobody wants to have 8% knocked off. You know, we're saying, hey, Ukraine will leave as long as we can get Crimea. Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't sound great to anybody. It's, it's more than nothing, you know, and it's a lot more than nothing. 92%? Okay, that's an A on a test. Um, since then, the attitudes in politics have changed. Israel passed what was called the nation state law, where they basically said, uh, Netanyahu, I think, said recently, we are not a nation of our citizens. We are a nation of Jews. Um, this, this land is just for the Hebrew people, and we are going to stay there, and we are going to expand, and we are going to colonize. And he has leaned ever more into the anti-Arab sentiment for his policies and his politics since then. And there hasn't been a real offer of, okay, yeah, you can have the West Bank and Gaza and be, be independent. It's always been, we want to keep taking your stuff and moving in 
Um, you know, I don't think they've ever said out loud, yeah, we want you gone completely. Um, some of the, the parties there have, but the, the end game is that they want to keep all the stuff they've already taken and have the state of Palestine be just these weird clusters of villages, uh, that aren't connected except by Israeli man checkpoints. Um, and what the Palestinians want is, can we please just have our own place again to live in so that nobody's fighting over it? And Israel said more and more over time, no, we don't want that. So once upon a time, those those offers were added to them. But in the last 20 years, the um, the idea of what Israel has been willing to offer has decreased to the, the point where I think Donald Trump's um, – uh, attempt to to broker some sort of peace accord is basically yeah you're stuck in these little villages forever this is going to be awesome and Palestine I don't said, know no. that um, so I was just listening to I should have looked it up before this but um, there's an episode uh, a special episode of the Ruthless podcast where they had um, there was a gentleman that was working in the Trump administration and I think he was specifically dealing with Iran because Iran for the modern era is kind of the main instigator of most of the terrorism, right? And so President Trump's, uh, their philosophy, which I, I, you know, again, I've criticized Trump before, I probably will again. Uh, a lot of his foreign policy was very effective. Uh, and their goal in the Middle East was to be no better friend and no worse foe. So no better friend to Israel and no worse foe to, uh, to anyone who wanted to do do the terrorism. Okay. You want to do terrorism? We're going to be a problem for you. Yeah. And so, but they established some historic peace agreements in the Middle East. It was not, it was not complete peace in the Middle East. It was an attempt to deal with the willing partners and make uh, agreements with them to begin normalizing relations between Arab nations and between Israel. And the more you normalize relations between, you know, you start with one country and then more fall in line and eventually everyone goes, okay, I guess it would just be easier. And, um, but one of the things that they did was they sanctioned Iran in such a way, uh, their main export is oil and they had them down from millions of barrels. They're, they're exporting right now under the Biden administration, one to one and a half billion, uh, barrels of oil or one and a half million a day, one and a half million a day. My numbers might be wrong, but sure. a That's lot. Okay. During the Trump administration, they were only allowed to export 100000 and that cut way down in the amount of money, and mo a good chunk of that money they used to fund terrorism, including Hamas. And Hamas was weakened. The... the the um One of the terrorism groups that's in Iran, and I'm forgetting which one, I think they're... Are they ISIS? Problem is basically uh, Hezbollah. every... Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Hezbollah said that those sanctions cost them $230 billion over the course of the four years that they were essentially in effect, right? Hmm. And so his goal was basically go there, normalize relations with the countries who do. And most of the Arab countries want normalized relations with Israel now. It's just that a lot of times whatever terrorism group exists in their country goes crazy when they try to do it, right? And so they're kind of being held hostage by these fringe groups. When they successfully started to normalize relationships with Israel, it was it it was creating a situation that Hamas and a lot of the other terror groups couldn't stomach, which was in a, a state of Israel existing. Because most of the terrorism groups that exist there exist to ensure there would be no state with Israel ever, no relations with Israel ever, and that they would never exist in any form. Okay, and so when 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 the moderates, or at least the or the people who just don't care. Uh, decided that they took control of governments in those countries and want to normalize relationships with Israel, Hamas had to stop that. Now, I think, unfortunately, the, the Biden administration, a lot of the choices they made 
have reversed a lot of the good work that the Trump administration did in that area. And that has resulted in a reinvigorated, well-funded Hamas via Iran. And so that's why a lot you see a lot of the Republicans in D.C. targeting Iran, because for four years under the Trump administration, they targeted Iran successfully. They mm. they were very effective at defunding terrorism, and that stopped a lot of the awful bloodshed. I agree with Alex in the sense that he's talking about Israel's perspective has changed. The reason their perspective on peace has changed is because there's been at least five total offers of a two-state solution, all of which Israel's been willing to agree to that the Arab nations or whoever was in control of the Palestinians at that point rejected, right? And so that makes it really difficult if you have a 80-ish year, I'm trying to calculate, 80-ish year period where options for two-state solutions have been presented different small adjustment versions of those that have been rejected, right? And so I think that's why I, I, I think Alex is, is correctly saying that they're not that interested in giving back all these chunks of lands without mm-hmm. better guarantees from whatever Arab state is going to control. And that's, to your point, what's the what's the point? Israel's not going to run Gaza. They've already said they don't want to. Right. And they withdrew <laughs> and they said, hey, you guys should run it. And then they elected Hamas and that became a problem. And so it's like, <laughs> don't elect problem. Hamas. <laughs> don't Right? The answer is don't elect Hamas. And I think yeah. that if you saw, and I think that some of it is some people in, in Gaza are just driven to desperation because of past actions that were bad by terrorism groups. And some of them are radicals that don't want, you know, things to be good. And so if Hamas didn't rule Gaza, I think you would see it be a lot easier to live there. I think you'd see Israel behave differently. I think you'd see the other Arab nations, especially Egypt, which borders it, behave differently, right? Because you've seen Israel get, like, they gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt after Egypt stopped deciding to destroy them, right? And mm-hmm. so I think if you get far enough along in those agreements, but I don't think that Israel, Israel's appreciative of America's support. I don't think they trust President Biden to negotiate a peace settlement right now. And so I think you're in a difficult place. hundred percent agree um, with that. I don't know where so, to go from there, but what, so one other thing that I was, uh, going to point out, and this, this is just kind of the, the difference in mentality between East and West, or even between mm, Middle mm-hmm. East and East and West. Yeah. And, you know, spending some time in Afghanistan, know a little bit about the Middle East, uh, thought process, but, those folks will hold a grudge for a thousand years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, not even joking. You know, the, there are blood feuds that go back generations. Yep. And, you know, you look at the, the West and, and sort of our mentality. You've got, we're, we're friends with Germany. We were at war with Germany, you know, not there's a, even a hundred years there's ago. There's a great Norm MacDonald bit where he says, uh, you know, the country that I'm most afraid of, it's not Russia, it's not China, it's Germany. Because <laughs> it, it is because the first time in the modern era that they existed, they went to war and they chose as their opponent the world. And then they lost. And then they went to war again 20 years later. And who did they choose as their opponent? The, the world. world. And you would think the world would have got together and said, hey, uh, Germany, you don't get to be a country anymore more but no they still exist right and i think that's a, it's yeah. it's making light of that right point that you've made and which it, is basically like yeah we, it, it we treat this differently to, it took some time to heal from that but yeah. after 20 or 30 years you know germany was welcomed back into society and and uh the you know you, you just you move on italy the whole germany is one of the war. countries uh, flying you know supplies to israel to support them in, yeah. in defending themselves and and that's how not... the turntable <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right that's not that's not how the middle east works yeah. and you know you you were talking earlier about how none of the arab nations want the Palestinians. And this is another thing that is very Western Judeo-Christian is that the strong should protect the weak. 
that is not a concept mm. in a lot of the Middle East. And so Egypt doesn't want Palestinians. Jordan doesn't want Palestinians. Lebanon I, doesn't want by Palestinians. By the way, I don't I don't blame like, them. I think Egypt is like, well, if we let a bunch of people into our country, how do we know they're not terrorists? Like that's I mean, a that's good question. The argument that's being made in America by some of the Republicans, you know, some of our people. How do we know that people aren't coming through the southern border aren't terrorists? So, I, like, I, I agree. No, I, I mean, agree with you then. And I think that's why, I mean, you've seen the, the so after some of the Republican uh, governors, basically, and now we're in an immigration debate, but yeah, it's always yeah, doomed yeah, to go yeah, here yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. After some of the Republicans <laughs> are like, hey, what if we just started sending all these immigrants coming over the border to blue states instead of red states? Let's try that. And all of a sudden, you've got New York and, and some of these others going, holy smokes, guys, this is really bad. We do not want any part of this. And they're like, this is a tenth Stop of what, for it. what the border <laughs> states <laughs> deal with, right? And so, now you've seen support for the border change very specifically. And you heard, I saw the White House talk about they're building during the, wall the speaker again. debacle, administration is building, the wall. building the wall. And then they talked about, they said, okay, here's an idea for Congress. And I was like, I thought this was actually very good strategy by the White House and their political operation. Let's, let's combine Ukraine aid Israel aid and border security into one vote. And Be- Taiwan. Uh, oh, and Taiwan security. That's right. And they combine them all, all four things into one vote. And so it's just basically like a big, let's go full hawk, full <laughs> hawk vote, right? And so you kind of, you, you suck in all the Republicans who want to support Israel, but don't want to support Ukraine, which by the way, I think is crazy. We should right. 100% support Ukraine. Here, here, from, here, here. From an American here, here. position, here's how I see it. I see it. If it only ever costs us money, to support yeah. Israel, to support Ukraine, to support Taiwan, then we got off easy because they're all losing their lives and their land and their and their their treasure to defend themselves from, you know, aggressors, right? Specifically Russia and China, who are geopolitical clear geopolitical opponents to us. And so if we're if if we want to be relevant political opponents and we don't want the fighting to occur in our land, we should probably support the folks who are doing the fighting in their land. I have a slightly different perspective on that. But my I feel like I'm a little less hawkish, I guess, having spent some time overseas. Uh, but I feel like the worst thing you can do is get involved in a to, in a conflict that you have no place in. Sure. But the second worst thing you can do is pull the rug out from under your allies after you've been supporting them. Mm, and yeah. so, like... Whether or not we should have gotten involved in Ukraine, like, I don't know. But, like, the worst thing you can do right now is is pull the support. And this is another reason why I can never vote for Biden or support the Biden administration is because of the things he did to Afghanistan. The people of Afghanistan Terrible. of just just ripping the rug out from under them just as they were, you know, tr- about to create their own government and, and create their own thing. We just ripped the support away and now they're all living in, uh, in a, a terrorist hellscape. Uh, totally and and it could have totally been avoided if uh, Joe Biden was had a bit more of a backbone. And I think it's also but, true. It's not like we treat these as very clear. Like we don't recognize, we don't technically recognize Taiwan as its own country or as the one true China. I say that on my Twitter, but that's not like you uh, official U.S. <laughs> policy. Okay, um, we but we but we treat them in. We basically don't normalize relations with them to keep. China from going crazy about it because they would, but we treat them like our ally in every other way and right. we sell them arms, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that matters. It's like, it's, yeah, oh, they're not formally recognized. Okay, great. They could be mad about that. No, they're like, yeah, just please sell us more weapons so we can point them at mainland China. Right. So, you know, it's, it, it's not that we don't, it's not that we go in and we say, okay, here's the good guy and here's the bad guy. All of it's geopolitics, all of it's complicated. 
they're just, you know, the, I think the goal ought to be protect American interests first. And then, you know, second of all, if there are, you know, real true democracies that are in peril, I mean, that's why we joined the world war is because democracy, literally mm-hmm. freedom and democracy was completely in peril. And we're, we benefit from being a, basically a separate continent. And there's no one <laughs> on our continent that is really <laughs> super great. interested in world domination. <laughs> yeah. You know, Justin Trudeau in Canada, they're like starting to think about it, but I don't, sure, I don't yeah. think we're going to have problems with them, right? The plan to invade Canada was set years ago and it doesn't need to change. <laughs> the war so, of 1812 was a really good time for so us. Hot take. You should have a plan and every administration to invade every country 100% of the time, every time. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, we'll we're... On we're <laughs> I will. Next what, time the so, Gambia gets up. Rattling, rattling Gambia. I had so, a... I, 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 I just want to jump in real quick because I have a, I have a non-economist. Um, oh, <laughs> now, this take is from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, oh. The other thing that I read... Not Al Jazeera? So, I... Well, I, actually, one thing I... One other thing that I did read in The Economist is that, that it was... I think the Chinese foreign minister was just like, we need to make sure that we nail down a two-state solution here. And I, which I thought was very interesting coming from somebody yeah. from China, because yeah. it's just like, you guys have <laughs> had several <laughs> decades of grappling with the whole two-state solution thing with Taiwan, and you guys kind of haven't gotten there yet I either, think- but... I think Gaza, if, if, if under better leadership, right? Hamas is not your leadership. They, they elect better leaders. They do, you know, Israel, you know, Israel gets the opportunity to change their viewpoint a little bit. They could become a Hong Kong, right? Where it's like, yeah. maybe they're not a separate country, but they're a free, they're a beacon of freedom. When Hong Kong was a beacon of freedom before right. China basically took them over, right? You you could be a like a beacon of of uh, a Palestinian type state without maybe necessarily being a hundred percent formalized or maybe a hundred percent formalized. I don't know what's possible, um, but still be a better place to live than they were, right? I mean, it's like I really like that as a as an analogy for what's possible. But I again, how to get there is very complicated. So that yeah, that's the 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 optimistic scenario. The yeah. the pessimistic scenario that I do worry about is. We had, we had relied, like, Qatar was a, was kind of a great conduit, was a go between, between Israel and a lot of folks in Palestinian, making sure it gets there and everything. Mm-hmm. Now that they're housing the leader of Hamas, everybody's like, maybe we just, maybe this is a little bit problematic. <laughs> well, we, he's been there for a while. <laughs> like, I, yeah, yeah. And it's just <laughs> like, hey, I don't know. But now it, it, my, my non-economist, this is just Nick's foreign policy. My worry is that we descend from a Hamas fights and Israel fights back, and whatever the resolution is is what the resolution is. But uh, Hezbollah has already kind of started launching some volleys in from mm-hmm. the north, and this is one of the reasons that the uh, the Israelis have not actually started their ground war yet is because they're like, well, if Hamas invades the north part of Israel just as we're – Sending all, ha- I'm sorry, Hezbollah, yeah. Hezbollah invades the northern part of Israel just as we're getting all our troops together here in the south. Like, we're going to be SOL. This could be a really big problem. If Iran gets drawn in because they've been financially supporting Hamas, if they get drawn into an actual conflict, this could be a real problem. And all of a sudden, you get power A and power B and power C and strongman A and strongman B. And this descends into chaos rapidly and the United States is already rerouting carrier groups and folks well, towards the Mediterranean so, Sea. This, my, my worry is that this gets bad. Well, so that we're recording this on October 27th. And actually last night, 
U.S. F-16s bombed a target in Syria, like which they said was unrelated. Yeah. Which they said was they unrelated. Said, uh, is it, <laughs> so, is it, so the problem is, okay. so the problem is, is, sure. is, is some of the other terror groups are now probing U.S. bases or U.S. posts in these other areas, right? And yeah. so what they're trying to do is one that so that's a deterrence right yeah. if you probe we're going to probe back basically right yeah, it's yeah, a it's yeah. a bit of a proportional response style thing right and that's why they sent the carrier groups is because this is this is directly at like hey Hezbollah we are watching you it's like when yeah. a parent goes like this with the and they pointed their eyes yeah. and they pointed the kids' eyes like we are watching you, right? And so good the, visual for our <clears throat> listeners who can't see what's going on. That's why I explained we it with my it, voice because yes, it. this is not a He's video podcast. Yes, and mine is normally. I've actually tried to stop video on my podcast. Ben can tell you about this. I hate video on the podcast, but he won't stop because we tried doing it, but nobody watched it. So we're just yeah, eh, stick with the right, audio. It's, but in any event, but no. So it's, so anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting, but um, you're okay. That's your point. Oh, that, I mean, that was it. That was my point. Um, I yeah. was just saying that this is escalating, and I, you're absolutely right. It's it's going to get worse before it gets better, I'm sure. Um, so we are over time. Um, I think the three of us have kind of dominated the conversation for the last uh, 10 minutes or so. I'm give Alex an opportunity to kind of throw in the last word if yeah, you're absolutely. so interested. Take a look at the most recent peace proposal for a two-state solution. The green is Palestine on this map I'm showing you. and Also the, good visual for our listeners. Yeah, yeah also good visual for everybody. <laughs> so that's Donald Trump's peace plan. Um, oh, I haven't seen that. Vision for peace. Okay, I'm going to yeah, look that up. And, Hold uh, on. It was, but the West Bank looks like Swiss cheese. Yeah, it's, it's Swiss cheese connected by some highways. Uh, they, oddly enough, give back a lot of the portion of Southwest Israel that was in the original 1948 UN plan, which I thought was like, oh, it's kind of interesting to reintroduce that. Hmm. Um, you all watch Veep at all? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. There, there was an episode where they're trying to figure out their stance of abortion, and she just kind of picks a random number of weeks that they're okay with it being <laughs> like, okay, sure. And it just okay. makes people go, huh? Well, at least it keeps her part of the conversation. That's kind of what that feels like is the, yeah, let's give back something from the original. Why? Nobody was thinking about that. But it's, I think it looks like basically desert. So you know, good luck. Yeah. Um, they do get access to a couple of ports, but that was the most recent peace plan. It was to. Uh, turn the West Bank into Swiss cheese. Um, you know, I, I think the the stance of the Palestinian National Authority right now is that there will be peace when the West Bank and Gaza are united as an independent, sovereign Palestinian state with no Israeli settlements. Um, how we get to that? Well, I mean, that's going to require a lot of concessions on both sides. Um, but ultimately, there nobody nobody benefits from the death and the dying there should be peace in the middle east and what i encourage people to do is pray for peace um you know there there should be justice when somebody commits an act of terror like hamas did and mm-hmm. you know you need you need to condemn terrorism we need to let the the we need to let hamas know this is not okay and i think israel's doing quite a job of that right now um they, yes <laughs> but the 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 problem is that a lot of civilians have now died and that is why i'm i'm just kind of heartbroken right now is that i'm sad that every israeli life was lost and i'm sad that they continue to be lost in fighting i am also very sad that so many palestinians have now died and I, my wish ultimately is for peace between these two countries. You know, the the Israelis got there either in like 1500 or 1300 BC. Archaeologists aren't quite sure 
um, which um, which of those two centuries it was. Uh, and they lived there until you know the the beginning of uh, this epic, the, like AD one hundred something. Mm-hmm. Um, destruction and of the temple. That destruction whole, of the temple. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Jews the Jews lived there after that, but there weren't quite as many of them. The Romans invited colonization of the area by uh, Phoenician Syrians and Arabs at the time, and those were the people that made up um, people who live in that area today. What we really should have seen when um, when the Jews started returning and returning in mass at the turn of the century was a welcoming, a homecoming of, hey, these, these lands are sacred to all of us. You're finally back in the fold. This is awesome. But mm-hmm. that's not what happened, specifically because of the actions of the Grand Mufti stirring up those racial tensions. And, you know, there... There was a lot to atone for there. Um, Palestine should have accepted a, the, the original peace plan. There should not have been a war when um, the partition was agreed to. And I, they they do bear some responsibility for uh, causing there to be all of this conflict in the first place. But since that time, Palestine has become the bottom. They're the underdog now. Mm-hmm. Um, we do need to continue supporting Israel because they have been a great ally to the United States. Um, but we need to make sure that Israel's not committing war crimes and human rights violations. Um, and Palestine also needs to kick Hamas out because Hamas is kind of terrible, as we've mm-hmm. seen. That is an understatement. Um, peace is achievable. Peace means that Palestine, the Palestinian people get to govern themselves in the West Bank and Gaza. And, you know, Israel gets to let them live their lives. And also that Hamas and everybody else in Palestine stops attacking Israel. People need to just stop fighting. Yeah. And that's that. There you go. And I agree with most of that. Like most of that I, I agree yeah. with. Well, well, shoot! Our whole point of getting this is getting. <laughs> I know. I stuff fighting each other, and it and, is true. But I am just trying to undermine your process too. I'm trying to create a, a, on a, a podcast. So, all right. Well, uh, so one of the things we like to do at the end of our podcast is ask our guests um, who their favorite Republican is. And Alex, we've kind of had you on before, and you've already answered the question. So, so answer Reagan. it again, and then we're going to see if you remember your Steve previous. Steve Laffey. Non- no, I'm just going to kidding. Steve Laffey. I was sad that he was he was the the one Republican presidential candidate I've been able to talk to this cycle. Dropped out and then left the Republican Party. So, ah, you know, sucks. tears for uh, Mayor Steve Laffey. <laughs> yeah. If you meet with any more of them and can at least get them to drop out, they don't have to leave the party, but it would be nice if we consolidated a little bit. So, I don't, if it was something you said, I don't know. Two um, Republicans from South Carolina. Right. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, Reagan, uh, living or dead, Oregonian or Oregonian national. Do you have a favorite Republican? And uh, I'm going to take the easy answer, which is President Ronald Reagan. I think it's just one of the things I admire most about him that I feel like we've mostly lost is I don't think it's anything specific about his his positions because his positions were very specific to the era that he was he was in the 60s with the Goldwater Revolution and obviously being one of the first you know very conservative presidents who by a lot of standards today, isn't actually that conservative on some issues, right? right. <laughs> and so, um, you think about immigration, you think about um, yeah, uh, uh, assault weapons, right? Stuff like that, where he was negotiating with and doing deals with Democrats, yeah. right? Um, I don't agree with 100% of that because I live in a different era, but what I do think was the most important and the thing that he brought that our party is missing so badly, and even I see it not well reflected in most of the people running for president, most people running for higher office is his optimism. He brought such a strong sense of what it means to be an American and what the future possibilities was. And he didn't really spend that much time focusing on the past. And you talked about 
earlier in the podcast about um, the the relationships that these countries have and how they've mm-hmm. sometimes you know they've you know they've been good and and got better. He built strong relationships with Democrats to get things accomplished for the country. Because guess what? For most of Reagan's tenure, he had a Democratic House and a split or sometimes Republican Senate. And so he had to figure out how to accomplish all of his conservative goals with the opposition party, making them feel included, making them feel heard, giving them the opportunity to cut down on what he brought forward. But ultimately, what it resulted in is an extremely successful presidency, right? His first couple of years, super rocky as he tried to get all this stuff accomplished. But after the policies took hold and the pro-growth policies that he instituted ultimately were really beneficial for both Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Republicans didn't just go on dominating every election. Democrats did well, too, because they participated in those. And so... Uh, by the time you get to 1984, he's getting elected by gigantic margins, winning 49 states, right? And just becoming extremely popular. He didn't try to lead as, as, he didn't try to lead Republicans into victory. He tried to lead America to victory. And that, I think, is the thing that both parties have lost. I think Biden tries. But he's so hamstrung by the far left of his party that it's just absolutely co-opted the White House, absolutely co-opted a good chunk of Congress and all that stuff, right? And the Republicans too. I think we've been, we've been hijacked a bit by folks who really want to win individual particular policy battles and lose the long-term war. And yeah. what we want to do is win the fight for freedom and democracy in America and not lose ourselves in the process. And so that's why I really love Reagan. That's why I, I study not his policy most of the time, usually his communication style and, and what he believed in and how he brought it to America. So that's, that's why he's my favorite. Love it. You're here. Good. That's fantastic. Well, uh, we will call it, uh, normally our 45 minute episode is at um, an hour five. So, Thank you guys for joining us, and listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.